of independent thought my name is desmond price no matter where you are in the world i want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts as always we have a great show for you today now here are our topics hello everyone welcome back to independent thought for this bonus episode I hope that all of you are joining us after listening to the first time that we had my panel on with us. They were just speaking with me just a few minutes ago, but you probably heard that a few days ago, about vaccine mandates, about whether or not vaccines, uh, why so many people distrust them here in America, and about our thoughts on PG&E. So if you did not hear those topics being discussed, please go back to the main episode from this week and check out that. This is a continuation of that particular episode. Welcoming back to the podcast again, Fresh Faces, New Ideas, Frank Styles, the host of the 336 Pull-Up Podcast, Hardwood and Sock, and everyone's favorite villain, Hunter Coleman. Welcome back to the show, everyone. <laughs> All right, so we are going to jump right into our first topic of this bonus episode, the eviction crisis, and who is to blame. So I asked this question to some people that I've talked to, you know, online, some people that I've talked to on other panels. I mean, is it tenants fault for our current eviction, you know, crisis? Is it the landlords for not working with tenants? Is it state governments? Is it federal governments? I want to pick everyone's brains here. The eviction crisis, you know, was largely in the news for weeks leading up to the extension of the moratorium, which I think now will be ending on October 3rd. And when that date comes, who knows if they're going to extend it again, but we don't really know if they're going to either way, it just feels like they're putting a bandaid on a problem that they're not solving. So I want to just ask everyone's opinion about this. Why do they think that we are in this predicament and who should be to blame for it? Hunter, I want to start with you. I don't think we started with you last time. Go ahead and start us off with this particular topic. Who is to blame for the eviction crisis? Um, North Korea, right? No. Um, so I think that the eviction crisis was almost inevitable with the way we handled everything because it basically just comes back around to bite you at the end the way they set it up like they especially uh if you're talking I, I guess it's not the foreclosure crisis because you're talking more about rentals is that right yeah or are you talking about both okay so with the with rentals and stuff like that because of inflation and everything not only people are behind on rent they still have to pay back the rent that they miss it's not like the it was all canceled and paid for it was just pushed out basically you can't evict anyone so they've been trying to evict these people for some people probably a year and they're excited the owners of these places, even if they're not big companies that, you know, especially people that aren't big companies don't have a lot of money. They've just been losing out on people that can't pay rent or some people in the worst case scenarios that know that they can't be kicked out for not paying the rent and have been using it on other things. But now these people are still in the same situation. Rent prices are going to go up because there's 
higher prices for everything. I mean, I was living in Utah. You couldn't get a studio. You can get a box on the side of the road for a hundred thousand dollars there. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, so now it all kind of just keeps building up. I think I would blame partially uh, the Trump administration for the way they were handling it when they were still in office. I think that Joe Biden, I think they're even saying it was unconstitutional the way he handled it. Um, or like they're trying to sue him for something relating to that. I forget the details of it all. But there's a lot of blame to put on the government. Um it was an un- I don't know that there's a better way to have done it though. So that's the hard part is I, I don't have a better solution or a way I wish things would have been done because I think that people needed that safety and security at that time that was very uncertain for them. And now I mean, how do you get out? How do you get out without having it eventually come back around? I would love to hear suggestions on that. All right. Fresh faces, new ideas. I want you to jump in next. Tell me, who do you think is to blame for the eviction crisis? How did we get here? Why is it so bad? Like, What exactly uh, happens? Well, there's, there's two, there's two thoughts. To this. Um, how did we get here for the, the direct one that um, just happened is a different story than how we got here ultimately. So I think he Hunter's right. It is, it was an inevitable crisis because of how we had to deal with the, the pandemic and basically the general state of the American economy where the average person couldn't deal with a $400 sticker shock. So by not uh, ultimately giving enough money for people to pay their rents for however long we ended up locking down, there was this, this backlog that they couldn't do. So the government is ultimately probably going to have to pay it off unless they're going to extend this indefinitely. Um, as for the current mandate, how that worked was um, there was a lawsuit that was brought on by uh, I want to say they were from Michigan. I don't remember what it's, it's not relevant what state they were from. Uh, landlords that came to the uh, Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled. Now they ruled this at the end of July. Um, they ruled uh, or the end of June that um, the mandate can stay. And in that ruling, uh, Kavanaugh wrote basically like a, an opinion on it. And this is where the, the unconstitutionality comes from. It's a misunderstanding of what actually happened. So Kavanaugh wrote like an opinion. This was not binding in any way. He basically said, look, I don't think this is an acceptable thing to continue doing. However, it is supposed to end in a month. So I'm going to stand with it. However, should this case be brought, brought uh, back to us, I will vote the opposite way, which would make it a, which would vote against the, um, the, the eviction notice. So uh, from that, the Biden administration then had a month. They had a month in advance to know that the eviction moratorium was going to come out and that the hope that they had to do this through law. They would have to pass some type of law to do this. And what happened was they didn't do bupkis for pretty much till three days before this happened, at which point he told Nancy Pelosi, hey, you guys should pass something. At which case, 20 moderate Democrats thought, hey, fuck you, we're going home. If you bring this to a vote, we're going to kill it. So they went home. So ultimately, what happened is the House couldn't pass anything because even if the House did, it would have to go to the Senate. And without a reconciliation process, it would require 60 votes to get. So whether or not that would even happen is a totally separate thing. So what happened from there is the only way to stave off, I think it's somewhere between 6 and 11 million uh, evictions, um, the Biden administration had to extend the CDC's use of uh, this mandate. So the only way to fix it at this point is for Congress to pass a law so that the CDC can then repeal their mandate so that it doesn't ultimately go to the Supreme Court. All right, Frank, 
please jump in next. Tell us, who do you think is to blame for the eviction crisis? And does it make any sense how it got this messed up in the first place? I'm, I'm going to agree. Uh, it starts with government, uh, just the way that it was handled initially. Um, when you look at countries like Canada, uh, Canada, when they were giving, you know, the monies that they were given, it was like some ridiculous amount. I think it was the equivalent of $2,200 or something like that uh, per month uh, for, uh, you know, the people of that country to, to live off of. So now, there's always going to be people that are not going to do the right thing. But what I'm thinking is, had we thought about it and said, we're going to give X amount of dollars uh, per month for you to live off of, this includes mortgage, rent, whatever, um, then it might have been a little bit different. But then when you look at the other part of it, it's like, you're going to have people that are just not going to pay. They're going to take advantage of the system and not pay, right? So now you're putting the people that own these properties and other companies um, you know, at risk. And now you pass something else that prolongs it. And so now it's just one big cluster. So I, I think starting at the top, it's government. But at the end of the day, here in North Carolina, I know uh, there are funds that have been given for uh, landlords here. So there's an actual form that you can fill out that you can say, you know, give the name of the parties uh, that may have back rent. You can give the name of the parties uh, the amount of rent that is owed, and then they sign off on it. And then you as the landowner, uh, uh, landlord would sign off on it. And then you can submit it to the state. And um, there are funds that are actually allocated for that. So you can get some type of compensation as a landlord. So I don't know if every state has that or have allocated funds for that, but I know they have done that here in North Carolina. Okay. And last but not least, Hardwood and Suck, I want you to jump in here. Tell us who you think is to blame for this eviction crisis. Um, well, ultimately the government, <laughs> um, you know, but it goes all the way back to the start, you know, and honor was on to something with, you know, the Trump admin being um, partly responsible for this. Right. And when you lock the economy down, right, lock, lock the country down, and shut everything down. People aren't making money. All right. Well, all right. So you do the unemployment insurance or whatever. Right. But that's still not enough to necessarily pay your rent or mortgage. Right. So when you lock the entire country down, like this is just naturally going to happen. Right. And, you know, we still have, you know, millions of people that are out of work, whether, you know, some maybe by choice, some, you know, whatever, whatever, either way, there's still millions of people without jobs, right? And if the government is going to come in and tell people, hey, you can't work, right? Meaning you can't pay your bills. Well then, all right, now it's the government's responsibility to pay your bills. You know, if they're telling you that you can't work, well, all right, fine, I won't work, but somebody's got to cover my bills, you know? So, like, at the end of the day, it all falls on the government, right? And, like, the government program right now that is supposed to be helping landlords, right? Like, landlords are having a hell of a time getting this money, right? Whether, like, I believe New York hadn't even sent out a single dollar to landlords, right? And so these, these state and local governments aren't doing a good job getting this money out to the people that need it, right? Because, you know, I... I don't 
you'll you'd have to fact check me on this, but I believe that most landlords in our country are small landlords, right? Like uh, a person owns like a duplex or something and they rent out the other half, right? The, that's like the most of the landlords. So if they're unable to pay their mortgage on whatever unit they're renting, well, then guess what? They're going to lose their duplex. Then they're going to lose everything there too. So it it's trickling up as well, right? So if the landlords don't get their money, then, then you know, then the other people are going to be out of a house too. Once the eviction moratorium is lifted, you know, like the landlord's going to be out of a house, which opens it up for bigger, you know, wealthier corporations to come in and buy it up, right? It there's so there's so many issues with this, and then for you know Joe Biden and um, you know Nancy Pelosi to wait till the last second to try and get some last ditch effort to to extend this, right? They wait till the last weekend, like like they didn't see it coming. It's just insane to me, right? And like the the one that they put in place is being challenged based on the third amendment, right? Which, you know, only Joe Biden could find a way to actually break the third amendment, right? No one's even ever heard of it, you know? Like, it, it just makes no sense. Like, I, I believe like, you know, later this week, uh, the Supreme Court's gonna be ruling on on the third amendment lawsuit. Um, and that could spell disaster, you know? So at the end of the day, it falls on the government because they caused the problem while well, now they're responsible for it in my eyes. You know, it's all government <laughs> overreach, you know, the whole thing. So <laughs> that's kind of where I stand. So I want to, I want to say a couple points here before I open it up. I also believe it's the government. So I think we're in unanimous consent here, but I want to make a distinction here. First and foremost, state government should take a huge hit for what's happened across the country. You have 50 states who have been allocated funds, I think to the tune of $50 billion, roughly. I think the actual number is 46 billion to be exact, exact. And of that figure, I think, you know, I'm, I haven't checked as of this week, but as of last week, only 3 billion of said like 46 billion had actually been allocated. And that money was specifically to shore up people who were dealing with this issue as far as back rent was concerned. It was also supposed to be going out to landlords to help them for this exact issue. And state governments more or less have dropped the ball altogether and have not gotten those funds out to anyone, really, at all. And they have no excuse for it, in my mind. I mean, it's been months. It is currently August. That money was allocated in March, and people have not been made whole. And as Sock pointed out, states like New York haven't allocated a single dollar. Well, like, what's the reason for that? I mean, some of them claim that they didn't have the infrastructure in place, and that in and of itself is an issue. How is it that you don't have the infrastructure in place to disseminate funds to people? It shouldn't be that hard of an issue. But on top of that fact, Saki, you have another good point there is that the federal government, this could have been, this could have been easily mitigated by them from the absolute beginning had they just done the most basic, obvious thing in the world, which is they could have went to banks and said, hey, I want you to suspend all mortgage payments and we'll shore you up. And so that way homeowners wouldn't have to be responsible for those things while our country was locked down. And they could have went to landlords essentially and try to shore them up, make sure they were direct payments were sent out to landlords the same way we got stimulus checks. And that way asked landlords across the country to freeze rental payments for people. I mean, and we say we don't have money for these things but we've had money for war for the longest time. So I think we could find money when we really want to. 
So that, that's kind of more or less where I stand on this. This is a combination of failure from federal government and state government. Does anyone feel differently about my opinion? No, but I do have some points to, to, to back up what you're saying. Yeah, so go ahead. Jump in here. Uh, so two things. Um, part of the issue, I think, with the, the fact that the government hasn't given this out is because there's not enough push to, to let people know it's there. Like we've said, you have to kind of find these resources by yourself. So the fact that New York has given out none is a problem. Like, I don't see how hard it would be. There's 17 different variations of New York commercials of where New York tough, go get vaccinated. How hard could it be to make two or three say, hey, you want to stay in your house? Go to this website, get this fucking money. Um, uh, that would be a possibility. The other thing is part of the reason we don't give, we haven't given it out is because the government, certain governments um, have made it harder for people to get money. And they've done this through uh, making it very difficult to get unemployment. And I don't know if, because we lack such a, uh, a fundamental ability to hand out that type of money, if that affected the, the actual infrastructure in other places. Uh, an example was Florida. During the Florida pandemic, one of the things Florida bragged about was that they'd given out something like 6% of unemployment. Um, they're like, yeah, we're doing great. But in fact, the, the monies that they had allocated had already been given to them and they'd only given out a little bit. So I think maybe if we had had a, a system that wasn't designed to um, lower unemployment rates by making it difficult to get unemployment, but had actually been able to reach the people would be a little bit easier to uh, disseminate money like this. Yeah. And you know, I think we're mostly in agreement on this subject, right? Government messed this up for everyone, more or less. Does anyone feel differently? I think I, I agree. I would say that the, the idea of just payments, like it makes sense. I don't understand why we didn't just give people like 2K a month for a certain duration, at least when it was at its worst, instead of like making people go through this big process of why can't you pay rent? What about COVID? What about your kids? Just, you know, I think we could have done that on a more consistent basis. And I think that if we had Democrats in control of everything at that point, I think that's probably what would have happened. I think that actually for whatever reason, some, Repu some Republicans were for it, uh, but a lot of Republicans just would not get on board with that idea, uh, I guess because of their strong sense of uh, pull yourself up and do it yourself, even if you're also telling them at the same time they can't do that. I don't know. It, it's weird to me that that didn't happen. I think it should have. So, yeah. so I, I don't think there's a whole lot of debate here between us. I'm not going to drag this topic out because I don't think that we need to. Eviction crisis, government's fault. What the hell is going on with them? We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back from that break, we're going to discuss critical race theory because I think there'll be less agreements about that particular subject. So we'll be right back. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code independentthought 
at checkout to save 15% on your order. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Welcome back from the break, everyone. We are diving into the second part of this bonus episode here, where we are going to be giving our thoughts on critical race theory, the subject that no one has been able to stop talking about in our country for the last couple of months here. I mean, besides coronavirus, this has been the number one topic of discussion for everyone. Everyone's already given their take. I've given my take. Everyone on YouTube's given their take. Mainstream media gave their takes, even though that's a bunch of nonsense. No one cares what they have to say. But now this panel is going to give their take. Critical race theory, or even though that's not actually what's being debated in schools right now, that, that's the whole thing. Check out my episode on critical race theory. So, but to talk about it for this particular panel, is this subject as big of a deal as we're all making it out to be? That's how I want to start this conversation. Does anyone want to volunteer to go first? Hey, I'll go. All right. All right, Frank. Tell me in your own thoughts, like, do you think that our national conversation around critical race theory is important? Is it overblown? Like, are people misconstruing it? Like, like how do you see it? I think it's important, and I think that some people are misconstruing what's, uh, what's, what, what people are saying. So, for example, if it's the country's history, right, then it's the country's history, right? So there are certain things that I remember learning in school um, a little bit about and not seeing anything else after that, right? You know, so until I got to college, I really found out other things. So I'm like, wow, you know what I mean? Like, why wasn't I taught this earlier? And I think people are thinking that, hey, if you teach this, what you're hearing out there is, hey, you're, gonna, you're teaching kids to, to hate America. No, we're teaching kids the history of America, right? Because you always hear about, hey, the founding fathers, this is what happened, uh, you, know, when, you know, when we left Britain, you know, you know, and all that good stuff. But you don't hear... You don't hear the other factors. When you think about the history as it has been taught in school, and I've said this on had this discussion on my on my show as well, you don't hear too much that's bad about it. When I had my interview with Jane Elliott years ago, she said that we are taught to be good American citizens. That is the history that we are taught. We are not taught about the things that really, really happened in American history. 
I don't know if they feel that you think, you know, maybe they think that kids can't handle it at that age. And that's why it's, you don't really see it until you get into your college years. But if it's history, there are ways that you can put the things that have happened, whether they're good or bad in history books so that kids can learn and understand um, and, and still have a, a, a better understanding of this history, the history of this country and how it was truly built. Okay. I want to bring in Hardwood and Sock next. What are your thoughts on this conversation? Critical race theory. Have we been talking about it too much? Do you think there's some confusion out there? Why do you think that this has become such a polarizing topic? Well, that's because, you know, both the left and the right are coming at two fundamental different definitions of what CRT actually is. Um, you know, CRT originally is just, is like, in the layman's terms of the academic definition, right, is we're look we're analyzing you know things that are like policy or different things in society through a um, vision through a racial lens, right, and that that's basically the academic definition, which could actually be very useful, right, to see how different things are affecting you know different people of different races, you know, throughout, you know, history and throughout, you know, or currently what's currently happening. Um, now, the right definition that they are going off of, right, um, is, you know, you're teaching that, you know, because you are a specific race, this is going to happen to you, you know, and that is is not okay in my opinion you know because i don't i don't i don't think that we necessarily have a racist policy on the books but it's good to use it like in in historical context of like how you know different policies have affected you know people of different races throughout the years but you know as far as currently i i don't think that it, it is a good primary lens to view things through um as you know like the first thing we look at is how are we how are these policies affecting people based on race instead of you know personally i would rather talk about people's socioeconomic statuses you know and analyze you know how different policies are affecting people you know based on their socioeconomic statuses first, and then maybe look at race down the line. But if we're, if we're talking about how it affects, you know, racial, you know, how it affects race, you know, people of different races first, right? It's very easy, you know, for us to take everything in life and think of it on the basis of race versus, you know, other aspects of it first. You know, and I, I don't think that we're at a time where we need to focus on race first. All right, Hunter, I want you to jump in next. What are your thoughts on critical race theory? Has this been a topic that you think is being talked about too much? Is it not talk, being talked about enough? Do you think that there is confusion that is naturally occurring or are people going out of their way to make this a more confusing subject? So uh, I... I actually want to ask a few questions to make sure that I understand what we're really talking about because it does get so what what do you mean by critical race theory in the context of this conversation is it teaching in school about uh the tragedies that have happened 
or is it more talking about like what we should do now based on what's happened? What what are you meaning exactly? Right. So I'll, I'll set the screen. I'll set the the scene a little bit. So right now there is a push, I think, around our country to change how we talk about our history and the implications it's had, you know, in our society as far as what happened and how it lends itself to systemic racism, how treatment of minorities has uh, perpetuated through different sectors of our of our society, whether that's through housing or economic or other economic factors. And so schools are now trying to incorporate that more into the curriculum and talking about how these events in history have led to these events which still affect us today. Now, that's not quite what critical race theory is, but that's essentially what we've all been calling what's happening in schools around the country right now. Some people are very much against it because they think that it says that we're trying to teach that all white people are bad because they have white skin and other people are saying, no, we're just trying to teach our history. And so there's, there's a lot of outrage. So, but for the purposes of what we're talking about, we're talking more about speaking about the history, like redlining and all of those kinds of things that happen and the impact that they have on society today. Right. I think we're trying to talk about the, the curriculum that's being, you know, enforced so, in schools. So if I'm, if I'm having my kid at school, what age should they start learning about these topics? Like, are we talking like third grade, sixth grade, high school? When are they introduced to this idea? That's a great question. So, okay, I guess I, I can kind of go from there. So I don't want my child at a young age to focus on anything other than um, math, science, uh, history, which is fine. You can talk about the things that happened in history, but I would prefer not to talk about their implications on our current lives because they're too young to really grasp it. And I don't want them to focus on skin color at all at a young age. I don't want them to think about it. Just like, I don't want them to be like, does Christopher have blue eyes or brown eyes at school, honey? You know, I don't need them to think about it at age nine. I, in high school, they're obviously gonna have figured out that maybe there were differences and like seen in movies and stuff, especially. I was watching a uh, hot chick last night with my wife and you could not make that movie today. There's a whole thing where like Ling Ling is like a girl and they named her like a, it's like a racist name to begin with. And then her mom is like trying to uh, incorporate into black culture because her daughter's, I mean, it's, it's pretty brutal. Although, I mean, at the time it was considered funny. So things have changed, but I mean, kids are going to see that kind of stuff. So they're going to probably need to hear something when they get to high school. I don't know. Um, I feel like I learned good lessons in high school. Uh, Martin Luther King was a big deal and treat others, uh, treat others as you like to be treated and judge man by the content of his character, not the color of his skin. I thought that was a good lesson that I felt a lot of people learned where I went to school. And uh, I've never really seen race as a big factor in how I treat a person. I definitely think like clothing choices and culture around certain things affects the way people see people. Um, and so whether someone chooses to wear baggy pants and wife beaters or a suit impacts how I see someone, I'm sure. And maybe that's good or bad, I don't know. Um, I think that as far as my kids, I'd rather them focus on subjects that make them better, more productive members of society instead of always worrying about how can I make sure that everyone feels like they're being treated fairly. Okay, Fresh Faces, New Ideas. You are the last person on this topic. What are your thoughts on critical race theory? 
do you uh do you agree with some of the other sentiments on the panel do you disagree where do you fall at look i think we all kind of agree that the idea of critical race theory being taught in like elementary schools is kind of ridiculous um i think the broader question really is how do we teach the history of this country and uh, the impacts it's had on minorities throughout history. Um, under, I, you know, at what age do we teach certain things? Uh, how do we like do whitewash certain teachings? Uh, you know, things like celebrating Columbus, things like the truth about like Martin Luther King being a democratic socialist, things like uh, the Tulsa massacres, things like um, Rosewood, things things are uh, or not not Rose uh, Sto- uh, Stonewall. Um, the, the 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 gay the the LGBT rights and stuff. Um, you know, how do we teach these things are more important? This I the 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 brand of critical race theory itself is been used as a, it's literally been used as a boogeyman. The the um the guy who started this, Christopher Rufo, literally said we're going to put all of this stuff under this umbrella and make it a big scary thing. Um, it's mostly nonsense. The 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 things that they're arguing. And look, there's absolutely things that we can all agree are just weird and probably shouldn't be taught to kids the the you know the the occasional teacher in ohio where they find them that they're like separating them based on race or something where they're teaching spirit murder or whatever these like weird trying to be like attempting to be good but they're like not effective teachings we can all agree those are a problem um but as it stands it's not critical race theory um, I think a lot of this design is not just um, to whitewash history, but it's also a, a conservative push against the public education system. Um, and that's and that's a different topic. But I think ultimately it comes down to are we going to teach them the actual history and when should we be teaching them, I think, is really the question. All right. So before we open up the, the panel here, I kind of wanted to just give my thoughts on this. This subject has just flat out just pissed me off the last few months uh, in ways that I can't even, I don't know if I can give a measured response to it, truthfully. Because I think when I was listening to one of the, I was listening to a mom right outside where I grew up at, like right outside of Philly. And she was talking about the reasons why she didn't want her kid learning about this in schools. And she was giving a public testimony to to the school board And she said, millions of people died in the Civil War so that Black people could be free. And we haven't had an issue with racism since then. And I don't want you indoctrinating my children. And I about lost my damn mind. I about lost my damn mind because that in and of itself is enough proof that we aren't teaching what we need to be teaching in school. Just just that one statement. Because it's like, you don't know about what Jim Crow laws were. You must think that lynchings just stopped after the Civil War ended. You must not understand about the fact that, what was it? Black people weren't even allowed to marry white people until the age, I think it was like, what, 1967? They weren't allowed to attend the same schools. You know, and then even after all the civil rights legislation came through the 1960s about how hiring practices are still, even to this day, discriminated against people with minorities because like people with the with ethnic sounding names don't get as many callbacks as people who have white sounding names about people who are black are getting longer prison sentences than white people are because that's completely discretionary and that is still happening to this day. So it's, if, if we don't wanna talk about how exactly this long history of mistreatment of minorities still impacts us today, I think people should just come out and say it. 
I mean, just truthfully speaking, because the evidence is quite clear that yes, slavery ended 150 years ago. Yes, civil rights legislation came through the 1960s, but this very much still affects us today. And the fact that so many people don't seem to know that tells us that we haven't been teaching that. Now, I think there's a difference between teaching it and making people feel bad about it. I don't want white kids going to school and then coming out of school thinking I'm a bad person because I have white skin. I don't want that. I don't want anything about that. But at the same time, I think there's a huge gray area in between demonizing people for having white skin and telling the truth about what happened to people who didn't have white skin. There is a middle ground in there and I think we should find it. And I don't think we're gonna find it if people are creating this hysteria about like, oh, they're trying to indoctrinate our children. That line is a bunch of bullshit to me. I just want to put put that out there a little bit. But if anyone has some disagreements about what I just said, I will gladly open up the panel now so that we can have a little bit of cross talk. Does anyone feel differently? Or maybe kind of want to just add some context to what I just said. I, I would say this. I would say this. I don't think that they're worried about anyone being indoctrinated to feel bad about their color of their skin. I think they're worried about the questions that will be posed to them by their kids. You have a different generation now, right? So you have a different generation of kids. And what happens is when they looked at things that were happening last year during the summer, more and more kids, even on social media, you know, they were putting videos out, out there questioning their parents about certain things. And their parents were actually being captured saying things that were ignorant, saying things that were stereotypical. And so that's what you run into, right? So maybe this whole stupid thing of racism would end if we started teaching about, hey, this is our past, right? This is our past. This is, this is where, this is what, this is our past. And this is how it led up to where we are now, right? Doesn't mean that you're a bad person, but we want you to understand, don't treat people this way. The things that you hear and say, you get to know what you need to know, uh, you know, you need to know a person by the content of their character and who they are as a person. And, you know, Hunter said earlier, you know, we're always taught about Martin Luther King, but there are so many other, uh, so many other people in history that were not taught about or that people don't know about that have, have done great things. So, you know, it's just one of those situations where I think that's what they're scared of. And I call bullshit with you, Desmond. I saw that interview that you were uh, referring to or that, that clip where the lady in Philly was saying that. And I'm like, what planet is she living on? Well, a lot of those people truly believe that because they have never interacted with anyone of color. And when you don't interact with a person of color, then how are you going to understand that person, right? How are you going to understand what their culture is? How are you going to understand why they act this way, you know, in their circumstances? So what better way to combat that than to teach it at the right age? And, and, and that's, 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 what I, that's, that's my opinion on it. So yeah, let me, let me just kind of like move the, the conversation, you know, this way. If we, if we can agree that there, that it should be taught, is there, what is the acceptable age? Like, should this be maybe cause like, as of right now, there are certain courses that are mandatory in college and we are currently trying to push college, at least I think the next two years, I think, what was it? I think uh, community college is being attempted to be made uh tuition free by this new reconciliation bill should these courses be taught in college should they be taught in high school should they be taught in middle school elementary school like when is the appropriate age to be learning about the atrocities of america so I as think, like as Nick, I was gonna, to be like 
sort of contrarian feeling like I, I want to figure out where I do disagree. I think that probably there, I, I didn't learn as much as probably I should have in school about like actual history. I heard like silly things that I found out later weren't true, but I don't think that like the history I learned was import, as important as the values I learned. So I think focusing much more on messages of treat everyone as an individual and unique because another problem I think that conservatives have is probably that critical race theory tries to lump people together based on immutable traits like race. And that's inherently racist to assume that because someone's black, they're now going to have this viewpoint or have had this type of thing. There is a million different people with different experiences of every skin color. And there's conservatives who are African-American and liberals. There's, you know, I mean, so it's super weird that we think that just because you're black, you had to have grown up in a certain environment and done certain things. Uh, and that, that might be something where maybe we could find some conflict to discuss. I don't know. Well, all right. So I don't, I don't think anyone here is necessarily arguing against the teaching of history. Um, you know, but when you have books, which this isn't technically critical race theory, but when you have books such as Not My Idea, which is a book on whiteness being taught in certain school districts around the country, that it, the right is using that and calling it critical race theory, but it's, it's not critical race theory. It's just anti-whiteness, you know? And we have to be very, very careful about teaching the subject, especially to younger children's, uh, younger children's, uh, good English, um, <laughs> you know, but we, we have to be very, very careful that, that, that we're teaching the subject correctly so it doesn't turn into this anti-whiteness, all right, and like, you know, what even is whiteness, you know, like I've never heard like a, a really good definition of what whiteness even is, right, but if, if this book you know, a children's book, which is, you know, I, I would encourage you guys to like go and look it up and, and look at the text in it. And, and, and some of it is like very, very disturbing. And if this is being, it's considered a, a kid's book, you know, if this is, if this is what's being taught in schools, you know, while yes, it might not be considered critical race theory, you know, um, like it, it's very, very dangerous language, right? And we're going to create, you know, more racism by doing it you know I, I i don't know exactly what the solution to racism is you know if you want to if you want to teach more history like more events that have happened or like go more in depth about like certain policies such as redlining or certain things in the past yeah that's great you know but you know if, if you're talking about it from like uh you know it, like when we're talking about redlining and stuff well the the white people did this, you know, to hurt the black people, you know what I mean? Whereas it, you, you could phrase it as the government put in this policy, you know, to hurt people of color, you know what I mean? So this way it takes, it, it, we're not attacking anyone's color anymore, you know? And I, I, I'm just, I don't wanna go down that road of just focusing on race when, you know, like I said earlier, you know, uh, lefty should be really happy that I'm saying this. We should focus on people's socioeconomic status, yes. right? 
it's a much better lens, in my opinion, to view things from, you know, and I guess that that's kind of my, my opinion on this. Fresh faces. Yeah. I know you want to jump in here. I'm going to, I'm going to slide in here right before you do though. Um, I mean, I understand where the sentiment comes from sock. I really do. And I too would have liked to go throughout my life without focusing on race as much, but unfortunately there's just some things that are with outside of our control. And when you're dealing with situations like this, I think that you can't just hope that they'll go away if we just do a few things here and there. I, I mean, when we talk about redlining particularly, I mean, you can just call it exactly what it was. I grew up in one of those towns. I grew up in a town that was originally redlined in Levittown, Pennsylvania. That's one of the one of the original spots in our country where that happened at, right? So the government specifically had those houses subsidized be built with the precursor that the people who those houses were being sold to had to be white. They had to be white. Now, that was stricken down when? In like the 1960s that that was eventually stricken down? But until that point, you're then creating a bunch of wealth for people who are only white because they're able to buy up those houses. And then they're able to then sell those houses for larger values once other minorities were eventually allowed to buy them. And so, yeah, it would be nice if we could, you know, just not focus on race. But I think we're far away from that time in our civilization because until then we have to focus on what took place the last several hundred years that got us to where we are right now. That that's just the little two cents that I want to throw in there, but fresh faces. I'm sorry. You wanted to jump in. Uh, yeah. Just to, to bolster your point. Um, John Oliver just did a thing. I, I don't know if it was directly redlining or it was like an overall encompassment of how, um, uh, black people have been left out because I know it covered the GI Bill as well and how the soldiers, there was like three who got the, the funding. Um, but look, this, you know, talking about how we're phrasing it, you know, the this idea of like, oh, teaching critical race theory is anti-American. Well, you could teach it simply as like an American thing. You could say, okay, uh, America's founding had clearly had flaws. We, we understand the, the words of the declaration, all men are created equal at a time where the, the people who are writing it owned slaves is an issue um we can say that like we're continuing to work on toward the ideals that we built this nation on it's an understanding how we got here you know learning from that is the positive and as for teaching like you know some of these books to kids look i want to i i agree some some kids should not be uh taught certain um topics the 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 idea of uh, what ain't what whiteness is is literally an ever-expanding comp uh, co uh concept um originally it wasn't irish um, there are certain people who can of mixed race who can pass for for white, depending on who you're talking to. Jewish people aren't white. Um, it's it's an ever expanding compass. So it's not like a definition of uh, what it is. And to go back very quickly, to the books, things like, look, if we're going to point out books that are problematic. PragerU has an entire thing just for kids. And there's this lunatic, Ashley St. Clair, who has this book lines of things called brave books. If you want to pull your hair out. Go check out their thing because it's with her and Jack Posobiec, and they're arguing that teaching people about trans kids is is bad. Just the existence of trans kids. Um, so look, there's obviously going to be some type of weird propaganda. I this 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 anti-whiteness, whether it's the the white fragility, Robin DiAngelo shit, or uh, whichever books you were talking about, sock. 
they're, they're a problem. We could, you know, can we change how we refer to things? Yeah. Making it more, uh, you know, America is great, but has had problems is fine. But the, the, as for when we should teach these to kids, um, they can obviously start learning that things were, you know, wrong early, you know, depending on how long you do the concepts you, cause little children in, in, um, in elementary school are taught like Thanksgiving and how those things, so you can give them like you obviously shouldn't be teaching to an elementary school, but as they start going through it in, you know, middle school and high school, they can start learning like real deep stuff. And then if they go on to law where they would actually learn what critical race theory would be, that would be where you'd have critical race theory, but it should be a more in-depth thing. We can teach, Hey, look, you know, just because we, we ended, uh, we, we had the civil rights movement doesn't mean that the, the rights were all equal. There's, there's a, here's the, the problems with, you know, the GI bill, here's the problem with leadlining and here's how the trickle down effects met. Because look, the generations now have access to more information than at any point in history. They're going to learn these things and it's best to teach them the idea of them so they don't develop the wrong ideas about them. Um, and, and the advantage of this is every generation is more progressive than the previous one. So teaching them how these things got here can help accelerate us going forward. So we don't have to, you know, in five years be arguing whether or not the civil war was fought over slavery or, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe we should stop having pictures of, of MLK in black and white. We should put them in color. It would have a difference to have people understand when things like that happen because there's pictures of him in color. The man is only like two generations removed. If that, like these aren't like abstract long ago items. These they happen. And then we can call out the hypocrisy of people who are quoting things when you know they wouldn't be on the right side of history. <laughs> right. So I, I think unless we have um does anyone want to jump in for a rebuttal? Because if not, I think we could move on to our final topic of the of the day. But does anyone have a something else they want to add to this conversation before we move on? I think that was really well said. I'll add that. All right. All right. A little civility at the end. Always appreciated. Let's, let's finish off this conversation with Afghanistan. There have been, oh, there have been numerous reports coming out about the Taliban sweeping across the country, well, sweeping across that country, retaking several cities. And I think as of this morning, well, this morning that we were recording this, they are either outside of the capital cabal or they are, they have they're just in gone now. into the city. They, they, they're, uh, they're one of their members that has been announced as president. Right. So now a member of the Taliban has now been announced as the president of the nation. So that was a humongous descent from where they were at a month ago to where they are at currently. Joe Biden has not said that he has any plans on canceling his withdrawal, but I'm sure that plenty in the media are having that debate today. So now we are going to have that debate today. And I'm going to start off this conversation with Hardwood and Sock. Been quiet for a little bit here. I want to get your thoughts on Afghanistan. What exactly should we think of this, of what's happening over there? Should we continue withdrawing? What are your thoughts? I mean, it's a very sad reality of like what's actually happening over there, over there. Um, you know, nobody wants to see the Taliban take over the country. But having said that, 
um, it's it's time. You know, it, it was time for us to get out of there. And this was always going to be a possibility, you know, whether, you know, but we, but we can't, we can't stay there forever. You know, we're, we're not, we're not creating, you know, another territory on the other side of the country. You know, we, like we were there 20 years. We tried, we tried to build their government up. We tried to train their military dumping. I, I believe like $2.2 trillion is what we spent on the war in Afghanistan. You know, we spent $2.2 trillion over there and, you know, Joe Biden made a speech 36 days ago and the capital has fallen. You know, I, I think, you know, since the Taliban really started their offensive, it took a little over 72 hours. We spent 20 years there and $2.2 trillion. You know, for me personally, I would have loved to see that $2.2 trillion be spent here. That would have been great. That would have been fantastic. You know, and it, it like, but this isn't to minimize like the human rights abuses that are going to happen there. But we can't act like the government that we had put in place didn't have their own issues, right? Like th there, there have been reports of, you know, children stuff. And I, I don't want to get too into that. By the people that we supported, you know? And, but like the people coming in are going to do the same stuff. It, it, it's just so messed up. Like, who do we back? But we're not the, we can't always be the world police. You know, it's sad. It, it's terrible, you know, but we, sp we spent a lot of money there trying to fix it. And it, it it's always, it, unfortunately, I don't think that no matter how long we stay there, it's going to get any better. All right, Fresh Faces, new ideas. I want you to jump in next. Tell me, what are your thoughts on what's happening in Afghanistan? Should we continue with our withdrawal? Well, yeah, we should. Um, look, so I'm going to dive more depth into this uh, tomorrow after we're recording this, because um, this will probably come out after I've covered this. Um, look, there's a lot going on. Um, the, the, the absolute failure of the Afghani army after all this time is, is, is terrible, and we have to figure out how that happened, because it you know, who was training them? How did they, they fail so quickly? Um, you know, where did all these resources that we put in go? Um, we do have to understand that there is going to be some type of humanitarian crisis in, in Afghanistan from this power struggle, from the inevitable refugees. We're, you're already starting to see that, that uh, people are saying America's not going to take any refugees. We took them all last time, which just fundamentally is not true. Um, we have to ignore the crowd pushing of people like Tom Cotton saying we this is obviously a couple of hours ago. We need to bomb every Afghan or every Taliban in, in cabal. Well, how are you going to do that? that? Yeah. He, um, or Mitch McConnell saying that we need to, we need to uh, drop airstrikes on them. Like these are not effective strategies where there's a lot of history we have to go through. We have to understand the, the Trump administration's impact on this as well as the Biden administration's impact. Neither of them handled it correctly. The Biden administration, I don't know how their information was so poorly sourced that they were like, yeah, look, we, we think the Taliban is probably going to control most of the outlying regions, but the cities themselves will be fine. And then it turned out they were just completely, we have to figure out how our intelligence was so bad at this because um, that is a huge problem. We, and you know, we need to understand for next time because there will be a next time. I really do feel like at some point there's a chance in the next 
if not in this election, but in the next election, there will be a presidential candidate running on going Beckett. Um, and I think that's just unbelievable that that will happen. Um, this, you know, we got to be aware there's going to be a lot of coming from this running to say impeach Biden or this is the the woke military is just is reductive and not understanding that this is a complex issue with a lot of moving pieces that you have to understand both sides of history. Did Trump handle this completely well? No. Did Joe Biden handle this completely well? No. But the fact that we've been there for 20 years and the fact that the American people want to go out for so long is is, you know, we should be out. We're pulling out. Did we do it effectively? No, because we didn't build the country for it. But let's not forget, this is not all just on Trump and Biden. This goes back to Bush. This goes back to Obama. Obama oversaw the was the longest serving president to oversee this war. It's like there's this is so much more complicated than what's happened in the last six to 10 months that we have to uh, we're going to spend years trying to figure this out. And we should, because the next time we save a rattle or some dipshit wants us to go attack whatever Middle Eastern country that or, um, you know, we're bombing Uruguay, we need to understand how, where our failures are. And it's generally nation building. Okay, Frank Styles, I want you to jump in here next. What are your thoughts on what's happening in Afghanistan? Do you think that we should continue to withdraw? I mean, at some point, you know, this was inevitable, in my opinion, just because, I mean, how long can you stay over there? Right. How long can you stay over there? And when is that country going to stand up for itself? Um, I'm not saying that, you know, obviously the humanitarian piece and all those things that happen, you know, it's, it's OK for us to help. But it's such a catch 22, man, when, when you're talking about it, because, you know, when we're when you're investing in something, you're hoping to get a return. What has been the return for us? Right. Now we're in a situation where if we if we spend all this money in investing in this country to train them, to teach them how to defend themselves against the Taliban, and it's the same outcome, you know, and then when we try to leave, these groups come up because, hey, you didn't stay and help build our country properly. What are we supposed to do? You know, and, and I'm in, I'm in agreement um, with what he had just said, which was this goes back to Bush. I mean, you know, this is how the Taliban emerged, you know, so at the end of the day, how much more can you put into this? Um, so, I, you know, the way from which he removed the troops wasn't right, you know, that should have been thought out. Um, and maybe maybe could have did it a little bit slower. But at the end of the day, I'm, I mean, I'm not upset at the fact that he's getting them out of there. Those people have families that want them to come home. Um, we need to deal with more issues here in America, in my opinion, than over there. Um, so it's just like, how much more are we supposed to do um, when things like this arise? We, we need to deal with our own issues. And I think that's one of our, in my opinion, one of our country's biggest downfalls is we're always trying to push or jump in for someone else. And I, and I understand why to a point, but at the same time, you got to help those. You can only help those that want to help themselves. And I don't really see them trying to help themselves. That's my biggest beef. Okay. And last but not least, Hunter, I want you to jump in. What are your thoughts on this? Should we continue to withdraw? So I'm super anti-war just as a general rule. I think just like in my personal life, war should only be used as a last resort, like to defend yourself or the people you love. 
And I think America has gotten into the habit of getting into other people's business. I don't like a lot of things that I hear going on in Afghanistan. And I don't, honestly, no matter what, I mean, it could be worse. And I'd still say, unless they were directly threatening to attack America, I'd say we have to leave. Uh, the fact that we were there for 20 years and we still, at the end of all of this, the moment we leave, they're taking over. That means they were already taken over. It, it was not just a sudden thing that randomly happened because we're leaving. That means they were behind the scenes running the thing the whole entire time. And we just didn't know it, which means that we spent, I, I didn't, was it 2.3 trillion? I, I don't know the number exactly, but that's a big, it's a big amount of money that went to that. And at the end of the day, it's like you just invested in a bad stock that still went to zero at the end of it all. So I feel like regardless of whatever, even in the scenario where people say, okay, we still have to stay, otherwise they win. When do you ever leave? What have you accomplished? And what are you going to accomplish in the next, what, five, 10 years? Or are you just going to spend a bunch more money? And then still in this situation where you're like, okay, we have to leave. And then they still take over another 10. They, they already took over. It's not even a real takeover. It's super weird. And I think as much as it's sort of a conspiracy, I guess, but I think there's a lot of people with a lot of money interest in keeping these things going. So having these big scares when you actually try to push it and say, nope, we're leaving. Don't care what happens. We have to get out. They're going to do everything they can to scare everyone into staying so that they can keep that money rolling. Yeah, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit there. I was about to talk about the money side of it here for a second. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me let me put my spin on this conversation. The, the thing that is unfortunate, let, let's start with this, the human cost. Obviously, you know, thousands of Americans died over there. How many tens of thousands, if not more, of civilians, Afghanist, like Afghani civilians died during this conflict. Those lives aren't coming back. We have spent two decades, our longest conflict ever, in a country that we never officially declared war on. And throughout all of that, through $2.2 trillion worth of that, through thousands of people dying, a group of what we've always deemed as insurgents, were basically able to hide out in caves until we left, and then essentially retook over in a matter of, of what, a, a few days after they decided they really wanted to? Uh, I mean, like, if that isn't the biggest example of complete inadequacy that I've ever heard of in my life, then I don't know what is. But the question really becomes is, did we actually like accomplish what we set out there to accomplish? I mean, I think we would all say that the answer is no, but maybe other people would say yes. Because I think what was actually accomplished was a lot of people who have defense contracts got very well paid. And I was listening to Bill Maher talk about this just this past weekend, which he's got some takes on his show that kind of grossed me out. But occasionally there's some gems dropped there. Anyway, point is, he mentioned just this past weekend that it's worth noting that seven of the 10 richest counties in America are all right outside of Washington, D.C., I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think that's a conspiracy. I don't, I don't think it's really that strange that defense contractors got very well paid over the last two decades about this conflict. And it really makes sense about why you see certain people, especially like Mitch McConnell, who are now pushing for airstrikes because, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Mitch McConnell was the person who received the most corporate PAC money last year. 
people like him. So it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever that someone like him is calling for airstrikes. But the question I have for Mitch McConnell is the question that he always poses, which is how are we going to pay for it, Mitch? I thought we cared about the deficit and the debt and all of those things. But apparently when it comes to war, we never have, which is a, is a damn just, you know, farce as far as I'm concerned. For the people who still think that we should be involved in conflicts like this, I don't understand how they can say that with a straight face while also asking how we're going to pay for everything else that we're trying to pay for in our country when that money would always be better served here in America than would be in another country where we were never going to accomplish anything. I mean, seriously, we have not accomplished a damn thing over in Afghanistan, and that is evident by what just happened there in the last week. So I don't know how anyone with a straight face could say that we should stay there after what we've seen. Uh, well, I want to push back just on one thing that you said. Um, it's not true that we didn't accomplish anything. So the mission for going in was to scatter Al-Qaeda and to get bin Laden. We did both of those things. The problem was we just kind of stayed we didn't there. We didn't leave after that. <laughs> right. That's where the issue is. So to be fair, we did accomplish the mission then, but we didn't set any parameters for leaving after that. So that it's was not 10 years ago. Though. Exactly. We, 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 we basically, it, once we caught Osama, we should have pulled out. We basically scattered the Taliban in the first 18 months um, or Al Qaeda in the first 18 months. It was, that was the, the, the impetus for it. Uh, we, after that, it was basically just uh, to help, you know, with these military contractors. And now there's, you know, the problem is, and I think sock, this was something you guys were talking about on the, the other panel is some of the, the stuff that goes on there is going to come home because some of these military contractors are going to, you know, train police and they, or they're going to the, some of the guys who leave the, the forces or some of these mercenary groups are going to end up as off police officers. And that, you know, some of that, that stuff is going to trickle back down to home. Yeah, see, personally, like, that's not, like, a huge concern for me, you know. Um, I'm more worried about, like, what, um, you know, is currently happening there and, like, what um, like what we did, what our responsibility is there, you know. And I don't know if we have one, you know. Afghanistan's been a mess for a very, very long time before we even stepped foot there. You know, if anything, you know, we did a lot for them. We built a lot of new buildings, you know, uh, we gave some of them electricity, gave some of them plumbing, you know, gave the Taliban a bunch of nice guns and cars, you know, um, gave them, you know, a bunch of new infrastructure, you know, like we did a lot there, but if we couldn't, we couldn't get like what, what something that's going to come out of this, you know, whole debacle is a nationalism conversation, right? It's very easy to have a nationalism conversation about, you know, what happened there, right? If I don't think that the Afghan government had a good sense of nationalism behind them, which is one reason why, you know, the, the Taliban basically didn't even have to fight them to go and take over the country. You know, they kind of just walked in it's it, 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 it's really amazing you know from all the reports i'm seeing like i don't see a lot of fighting i, I see a bunch of hanging out you know with my with my new you know uh you know m16 from america you know like it, that, that's what i'm seeing i'm not seeing a bunch of fighting so it's really like well i don't know because like i can't say this for a fact but it's like is is this what they, what the people of Afghanistan wanted? You know, I'm sure there's some people that didn't, but 
that they didn't they didn't put up a fight for for the the values that that we kind of forced upon them you know Imagine like that. so so it's like well 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 they they didn't want what we gave them okay maybe maybe i like i can't say this for a fact but like i'm sure there's some people that loved what we did there but i'm sure there's some people that hated what we did there so it, it, it's 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 a sad reality for the people that loved what we did you know but it like the whole thing's just insane like and for people to suddenly flip-flop you know some people on on you know the right and left right where you know trump was all like oh let's get out of there like and everyone was like all the republicans were like yeah that's great and then um and then now you know biden's in office and biden's like hey let's get out of there and some of the republicans are like nah let's just bomb them like it's cool and then and then you have people on the left where it's like you know oh we're so anti-war anti-war and then now it's like oh but what about the women that's the worst it's just mind-blowing like i don't understand like what what is happening here you right. know, well, it's it's shilling for the for I think for defense contractors. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, because truthfully, there's human rights atrocities that happen all over the globe. Right. I mean, you could have pretenses to go into places like Ukraine to deal with sex trafficking or to go into places like Libya who have, you know, just like just actual like slave trading that still happens in Libya America. right now. Or you could go into China and say that, oh, well, you have concentration camps, what you're doing with the Uyghurs you know, in Northwest China. I mean, there's human rights atrocities happening everywhere. We're not, we can't just be invading every country that's doing human rights violations. I mean, we can talk about economic sanctions, maybe you can talking about having the global community come together and denouncing things, but our military can't be the global police. I mean, not in my opinion. It is super interesting. I listened to uh, several, I listen to people all over the spectrum, one of which is Ben Shapiro, who a lot of times has some very logical points on issues. Oh, and I'll tell you what, he loses his, all of it. It's crazy. He just loses it when he talks about this. He, he has like, it's the most illogical points of view from him that I think I've ever seen. And it just, it goes against most of the other things that he proclaims to believe. So like, if you really believe the other things that you always say you believe, then maybe I could get behind what you're saying. Even though I might not agree, I could say, okay, he really believes that. But when you come out and you directly contradict it and say, yeah, we have to keep the government out of our lives. You can't trust them. They don't do anything well. But at the same time, they have to be there in Afghanistan. And I've, I've seen so many people. He's not the only one. There's a bunch of people who just completely, I hate hypocrisy. It's one of my least favorite things to watch and see it in government all the time. And it's really hard to watch people just completely flip their own script and whether or not realize they're doing it or just not care. Yeah. If you uh, you don't like hypocrisy, a good way to do that is to uh, listen to Ben Shibibo at half speeds um, so that you can actually break down the things that he's saying because it is like, so I didn't really like know a lot about him before I started doing streaming and stuff. Um, it is a lot of hypocrisy. He's also like very anti-Muslim. Uh, he's he's been very clear about that. Uh, but look, no, it's this is going to take a long time, and the the immediate reactions that we're going to get for the next couple of weeks, maybe to a month, um, they're going to be knee jerk. We don't have 
nearly enough information about a, a vast majority of things or the historical lens in which to 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 judge these in which for these statements. It's look, it's a tragedy. We have to finish the evacuation. Um, I I can't really imagine that they they're like just on a thought process that they're going to try to fuck with Americans as they're leaving um, because that's a really good way to get the Americans to come back. Um, I think most of the Americans will get out probably fine. I think the real issue is we got to get these, the, the interpreters or anyone else who helped us, they have to be, they have to get out um, because they can't uh, like, they're going to die. And we, we made, they, they made this, this sacrifice to help us. And we have to, you know, at least, because whatever happens here, when something happens in the future, this is going to be the context people think of. Well, you know, these Afghani people helped you for 20 years and you basically just left them. And that's something we can't uh, have. So I just want to end this conversation by saying that I think it, it should be America's duty not to stay there, but rather, you know, there is going to be some humanitarian fallout that comes from all of this. I mean, especially, you know, we're seeing women and children who are fleeing the country, like in mass right now, being afraid of the oppressive regime that will come through with the Taliban, essentially taking over the government. I, I think humanitarianly, we as a nation probably should take in some of these people. I don't think that... I don't, I don't think that that would be a bad thing in any case whatsoever. I saw recently that... Other nations in Europe are suspending all deportations back to Afghanistan because of the Taliban taking over. I think, you know, given the devastation that we've laid on that country for the last 20 years, that's probably one of the things that we probably should do on our way out is saying that if some people want to seek refuge here, that, you know, you can for, you know, for the time being and maybe permanently if the conditions over in Afghanistan don't really change with the Taliban taking over. But uh, does anyone have any final thoughts before we before we yeah. close that? Um, we're going to see, I think, especially from the people who are going to push that, um, it's going to be a dual a dual track thing because this uh, this this simultaneously happens kind of with the the release of the census where it was that uh, the, for like the first time that the, the population of white people dropped. And I think there, there's going to be some type of rhetoric where you hear, oh, this is literally their goal to bring in new um, people to change the makeup of the country. So that I there's I don't know who I Tuck Carlson um is going to be pushing that type of stuff, but like it's going to come. Um, we're all, we're going to hear immigrants are bad, immigrants are dirty. They're going to say Germany is completely collapsed. We took all of these people in last time. They're terrorists. It's we have to be ready for this. We have to understand the the the, the logical response to this because this is the same thing that happened the last time there was a a crisis like this. And it's you know there's going to be a lot of misinformation. There's going to be a lot of um, racism and, and fear-mongering and anger that's going to come out. Well, I think Tucker Carlson conspiracy theories could fall into their own episodes. We might have to save that conversation for another time, everyone. But, you know, with all that being said, we're going to close up here for this episode. I want to thank each and one of my panelists for sticking with me through what is a lot longer of a panel than I told them to expect. So I do appreciate y'all chilling for this long with me. Uh, so close it out. One more time, I want to have everyone kind of like plug you know, like their platforms, you know, as we're heading out here, I want to start with Frank. Uh, tell everyone where they can find you in the 336 Pull-Up Podcast. Yeah, you can find uh, the 336 Pull-Up Podcast on uh, all digital streaming platforms, uh, as well as our YouTube channel, as well as the I Say Podcast Network, and uh, on Instagram and uh, Facebook. 
All right. Thank you so much, Frank. Hunter, I want you to go next. You have something to plug for the first time ever. Well, second time, technically, because, you know, two-part episode. But tell us where they can find you at. Well, in case they weren't here for the first episode, you can find me in Great Falls, Montana, in the home, around the community, you know, doing my thing. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube. So you can just look up my name, should come up. You can find me, uh, more importantly, I am starting some comedy. Sort of, it's not just comedy. We're doing some like funny songs, sort of a Tenacious D kind of thing, but smaller scale. And it should be a lot of fun. If you're in the area and you are in town, just look it up. You might find some shows and come see me. And I'd be happy to talk about anything while you're there. All right. For the Montana people, you can go and find Hunter in the real world. All right, next we have Hardwood and Sock. Where can everyone find you on the interweb? Uh, yeah, you can find me on uh, twitch.tv uh, slash Hardwood and Sock, um, all one word. Um, you know, I mainly do uh, center-right political content, kind of talking with different individuals who don't agree with me. Um, you know, just like a normal conversation, no heavy debates. Um, I appreciate you having me here, you know, and I'm sure I'll have you on my stream again soon. Um, and, you know, it was a pleasure talking to everyone else here, you know, fresh faces, you know, I'll see you all the time. Uh, Hunter, it was nice meeting you. Um, and the, the three, three, six pull up podcast. I, I forget your name, man. What was it again? It's okay. It's Frank. 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 Yes. It was great meeting you, man. Um, you too, man. Yeah. So like, it was a pleasure meeting everybody and, if anyone wants to come check it out, uh, I think me and Fresh Faces are going to have a little... No, not tonight. Not no, tonight, we're not... Man. Oh, okay. He's back and he's scared. Um, <laughs> all right. No, I'm going to eat, then. <laughs> um, no, but you'll see some content between us uh, shortly about some of the topics that we discussed tonight. And thanks for having me again, guys. All right. And Fresh Faces New Ideas, where can we all find you at? I am Fresh Faces New Ideas. You can find me on Twitch at Fresh Faces New Ideas, twitch.tv slash Fresh Faces New Ideas at 1 p.m. EST during this next week, except maybe Friday. I think I'm going to try to do later. I want to see if I get some more people. Anyway, uh, I stream during the week. On the weekends, I usually have conversations with people. Half the time, they tell me to bomb another country, and I tell them they're an idiot. Anyway, uh, I will talk to pretty much anyone about anything. You can also find me on YouTube at Fresh Faces, uh, Fresh Faces New Ideas. That's mostly a lot of the older content that I did when I was mainly on youtube um you can find me on twitter at faces ideas i have my facebook or not my facebook my my twitch my youtube my discord my instagram all those don't bother with instagram i don't use it um but other than that uh sock we will talk another time i need to uh to make dinner and i'm hungry so uh we will we'll figure something out for another time but thank you for having me i will talk to anyone on this panel at any time uh i had a good time here all right well i appreciate everyone coming on for this episode well this this two-part episode more or less i appreciate all y'all coming on hoping to have y'all back on for a panel in the future to all of my listeners out there thank you for listening to this episode this this panel discussion i'm planning on doing more panels in the future if you like these panel-based episodes please reach out on instagram or twitter send me a dm let me know what you thought of this episode Tell me what you thought about the panelists i won't even mention it to them it'll just be our little secrets Tell me what you think about these guys so for everyone out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Independent Thought. I will see you in the next one. Make sure you are subscribed and make sure you also go down into the episode description and check out the links for each one of my guests here and go check them out on their platforms. Thank you so much. See you next time. Break.